who's been enjoying drinking from the living wells, the, the, the wells of living water. Yeah? It's our food source. Yeah? And it's what I want to start with today because um, he, he's been, I guess, just highlighting and, and um, really pressing in on some, some stuff about this. And it's by, about living by every word, which is this drawing from the wellspring, isn't it? And, um, you know, we are designed by God to live by every utterance that comes out of his mouth, every rhema word. Did you know that? Uh, to me, it's, it's that in itself is utterly profound when we get a revelation of the fact that that's how we're designed. Matthew 4.4 4 is, is Jesus in the, um, in the desert with, um, you know, he's been drawn by the Spirit into the desert and Satan's tempting him. And his answer is, and it comes from Deuteronomy, man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, every rhema word. Do you remember um, David Lake talking about that? Um, that, was, that was something that really came to a, a very... When I came away from camp, this was the one thing that was resounding, 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 resounding. We... we Live by hearing his word. And, and the, he, he spoke some other things. He, he said instead of asking for, for God to increase our faith, remember how he talked about that? He said, let me hear you more. Because faith comes by hearing. So it's all about the ability to hear. If we can't hear, then we can't live. And I'm talking about a life, and I'll explain what I'm talking about, a life that is his version of life, not what we might perceive as life is. He also said this amazing statement. I loved it. What God has uttered, there is no possibility it won't happen. You know, remember, he talked about Mary and let it be to me according to your word. There is no possibility that if he's uttered it, it's not going to happen. This is the surety about the, the king who we serve, who formed the worlds by his word. Everything that he has done and ever does is formed by his words. Yeah? And they're, they're taken from the unseen realm and he speaks and it comes into the visible realm. So everything starts with his words. And our ability to hear his words means that then we can partner in that and become part of the, the created being that he's doing. He's doing this this changing and transformation within us because we're hearing his word, because we're eating of what he is saying. He says in John fifteen seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So there's, there's this 
relationship that that causes us to live by every word. And that he is abiding in us, but us abiding in him is when we are living and eating and drinking from this very source. It's a heavenly source. It's from another realm because we are citizens from another realm, aren't we? Yeah? When we were born of the Spirit, we were born and became sons of God. So we are now citizens from another realm. We're ambassadors. We're strangers here, but we are actually from another realm. So our food source is from another realm. Yeah? So... When he says man shall not live on bread alone, well, we can, we can say, well, people live on bread alone all the time. And, and, and we probably need to have a look at what we mean by live, you know? <laughs> um, if we don't know what life is, we'll settle for what's not life and we'll be content to eat from just the temporal because it's comfortable. It's what's known and... We think we're in control. And that, that is the way of human life, isn't it? Let me read to you what life is. This is the biblical um, definition of um, the, the Zoe life that is, is spoken about in the word. So it's used in the New Testament as life as a principle, life in the absolute sense, life as God has it, that which the Father has in himself and which he gave to the incarnate Son to have in himself, that's John 5.26, and which the Son manifested in the world, 1 John 1.2. From this life, man has become alienated in consequence of the fall. So if we think we're in life, but we're not reconciled to life through Christ. We're not in life. This is a different definition, totally different thing, yeah? And of this life, men become partakers through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who becomes its author to all such as trust in him, and who is therefore said to be the life of the believer. For the life that he gives, he maintains. Eternal life is the present actual possession of the believer because of his relationship with Christ and that it will one day extend its domain to the sphere of the body as assured by the resurrection of Christ. So when we are thinking man shall not live, this is what he's talking about. Man shall not live. There's an impossibility to live outside of if you're just eating bread, natural, physical, visible things that you see on the earth. The only way that you're going to live in the sense that God sees life, remember he sees everything in a different way. And so he has to give us spiritual sight and open our eyes and our hearts so that we start to hear and see what he sees and what he's saying. Yeah, That's how we come into the understanding as sons of God, of who we are and, and where we come from and what we feed off. So we now, from that, very clear, we live on every word, every word that proceeds out of his mouth. 
So powerful, isn't it? The word is so needed. And I'm, I'm going to go into some various things. And this, this, is, this is what he's been doing in me. So I cannot speak of a word that hasn't done and isn't doing its work in me because otherwise it's just empty words. It's like a, a futility of teaching that's about sort of this cerebral knowledge but doesn't have the, the actual life of it, you know, because that's the difference between human learning, cerebral learning, and actually receiving by the Spirit of Christ through the word because that word forms itself. It's a seed that comes into soil and reproduces after its kind and reproduces the life that it has in itself, right? So this word, it, it does, it, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm talking about hearing God's word, very often we think about, well, I can hear him when he tells me to do this or to do this. And it's easy for us to think that that's all there is about hearing God's word. But I'm talking about receiving and hearing and receiving God's word, which is in a, a vast spectrum of things. And yes, it does include that. But we, unless he um, cleans us and prunes us and speaks those words and those words come in and they come and they divide in between our spirit and our soul and they judge the thoughts and intents of our heart, those, those workings on the deep inside of us, the transformation process is what I'm talking about. That's the thing that is forming Christ and that is bringing us into alignment with what he has said and who he sees that we are. So it renews our mind to what he is doing. So this word that cleans and washes and prunes, um, it's interesting in John 13, 8, these are all things over the last month or so that he's just been highlighting, and it's all saying the same kind of thing and developing and developing it. Um, and the power of it is, is manifesting, <laughs> which is... It's so cool. Um, so John thirteen eight. Um, this is when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, and Peter said to him, "You shall never wash my feet." And um, and Jesus answered him, "If I do not wash you, you have no part with me." And it's so easy to think, well, that's just salvation, you know. He needs to wash me clean of my sins, but but this is the process of the pruning process that he also talks about in John 15, 1 to 5, and I'll just read um, <clears throat> some of that. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Everything's happening through this word. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. What are you eating? What's your source? Because that's going to be a major factor of whether you're abiding in him. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So not only do we have to be connected in intimacy and and hearing and receiving his word, the actual work of the word to prune us as we receive those things, and he highlights things, okay? So what do we do when he highlights things? Do we, do we turn and repent from those, or do we cover and, and pull back? Because that's all part of abiding in, because if you're abiding in, you're staying and remaining in the process. You're coming toward him as he's revealing things that aren't great, because of the fact that he's your source, and there's only one source, and he's life and he's love. And so, you know, when you look at a, just in the natural, um, a grapevine pruning, it's a really skilled job, you know? And the fact that the father is the vine dresser, you know, he is so skilled, so skilled. And you know, even in the natural, this is this is the, the reason why they prune. They prune to reduce the risk of disease. You are good. You are good. So good. They they prune to get the right balance of the leaves to capture the maximum amount of light. If they leave too many leaves on, the fruit will be really weak. They have to have enough leaves to, to do the photosynthesis process, right? But they, they can't have too many because otherwise the fruit won't grow. And the fruit, if it's in the shade, they, they will cut this, the buds off that are in the shade. The more buds that are left on, the weaker their vigor. Interesting. So it's not a, mat, a matter of having heaps and heaps of buds on. I mean, I remember just having a conversation with my mum about this. Just in ordinary fruit trees, if you take out every second bud, you're going to get bigger fruit. Never heard of that, but this is, this is so common. Look at the results of unpruned vines. I think the parallels are incredible. Okay, so if we're not receiving the word and we're not, we're not running into him when he's speaking to us, we're trying to run away or cover or ignore or whatever. This is the sort of thing. So in a vine, many short shoots produced further and further away from the trunk. It's a lack of intimacy, isn't there? Yeah? Many small branches of high acid, low sugar berries. <sighs> Kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? You know, the fruit of the spirit is sweet. Irregular yields, on and off. The parallels are very, very, very clear, aren't they? So, how necessary it is that we hear what he is saying, and. That actually requires turning from other voices. So another scripture over this journey, he's taken me to Genesis three seventeen, and it says, this is so powerful because it's right at the beginning. 
Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you, in toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. He just listened to another voice. That's all it was. She listened to another voice. But the Lord is saying here, because you listen to another voice, the result of that is toil. When we listen to the voices of men, when we're taught by men, it produces in our life this toiling, toiling, toiling. And I have testified to this time and time again. This was my life before as a Christian because I was being taught by the process of men, the modes of operation of men. And it produces in a sense of dissatisfaction and fruitlessness and striving. But the, the way of God is not that way. The way of God is to hear his voice and it produce life in us. And it's so powerful. So you see, it caused Adam to eat from another source, another tree. He was, he was free to eat of the tree of life. And that is the same as us. Our source is the tree of life, who is Christ, isn't it? He is our bread. He is our water. He is our drink. And when we eat of the, the talkings and the many voices, and there are far more voices in the world and one voice of the Lord. But when we, we feed off those, and sometimes we don't even realize it, and this is why he in his mercy comes, shines his light in there and say, what's the voices that you're listening to? Let's just quickly read um, Psalm 127, just the first couple of voice, uh, verses there. Mm-hmm. Unless the Lord builds the house. Who's the house? Mm -hmm. They labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city. Who's the city? (laughs) The watchman keeps awake in vain. In vain. Futility. In vain. It is vain for you to rise up early. Must have my quiet time in this regimented, religious, learning. It's vain without the Spirit of Christ. It's not to say that it's wrong to get up early. Absolutely not. But, see, he needs to awaken us up to his ways, not just the ways that seem right to a man. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. And we've heard, you know, um, testimony of that time and time again, that literally that's what he does. He's feeding us even as we sleep, as we get up early, as we retire late, when it's all in him. But this trusting in just a form of of processing um, is not where it's at, yeah? Um, 
Second Peter three. Um, I would love at some stage if you go and have a look at this whole chapter. I won't do it now. Um, but it's so it is so powerful, and it's amazing how how different I look at this than I used to. So, have I got this right? Second Peter three. No. Can we go first Peter three, just in case? <laughs> no. Well, that's interesting. Um, this is where I want, like a Bible, that I can just flick. I th- um, so you'll know it, because um, given so that we may become partakers, partakers in his divine nature, because you quoted from it this morning. Pardon? One, three. Thank you. Thank you for the body. Second oh. Peter, one, three. Brilliant. Second Peter one. Right. So, verses three and four. So we'll start at verse two. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has given to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. It's so powerful that he has given us everything, literally given us everything. In fact, uh, to those who have received a faith, he gave us the faith. We can't take credit for nothing. Then he goes on and he says, you know, for this reason, applying all diligence in your faith supply. Interesting, isn't it? So in this old mode of operation, I was just like, oh, my goodness, how do I, how do I add this and then add this? And it was all about me trying to add <laughs> these, these things. And it's like, so not that. But anyway, um, that... The reality is that all of these things, are, if you look at that list of things that he says to add, they're the things that he does in us. And it starts with the innermost things first. And then the last thing that comes out is brotherly kindness and love. So it's always the, the internal to the external, not this external thing that's trying to change the internal. We cannot do that. We cannot change flesh with flesh. And you can't, you can't, add to your spiritual life through your flesh either. And until we really get that and what that actually means in our everyday life, we end up going round and round and round in circles in this fruitlessness um, that I've described before. So hearing God is not just about doing what he says. It's about being transformed within to be like him. And we're going to hear... Uh, in in a little while from Philippians 2, it's about having the same attitude within us. And that's not just because we try to be 
like is because he is forming and transforming us. And it's like, that is how we are now because we're feeding from the source. But it does, it, you see, it remains for us to eat and hear. There is a part for us to play because if we continue to feed off the voices that are not him, we will produce the life that is not life. It'll be a futility and, a, and it'll end up being a very cyclic kind of behavior and will often take down a whole lot of people with you. So it does remain for us to eat and hear. It, it does remain for us to receive and to believe and to understand. That's what's going to, that's, that's the work of the word. But if we're not going after it, then we are, are not going to come into it. And it's not going to come into us. This, this was, um, this next scripture is in James 1.19, but everyone must be quick to hear and slow to speak. That's just the beginning of it. And that was something that the Lord really, this, this was a real good straight in to me one morning. And he, he woke me up and there was a picture of something else. And then he spoke the scripture very clearly. And he just gently but very firmly said, Sandra, you've spent an awful lot of your life thinking, not hearing. That was so good. It was so good to hear. And it was like, that's truth. That's truth. And, you know, I, I could even remember having it spoken over me when I was a teenager that I was a thinker, that I was going to be all right in life because I was a thinker. I'd been categorized that way, you know? And it was like the Lord saying, you're not a thinker. You're a hearer. Yes. Yes. You know, he defines us. And he defines us according to what what is good for us, you know? And it's like this whole journey has been changing things. And there's, I was talking to Chris just recently. One of the things that's changed is how I'm responding where I'm hearing about things. I used to go into a process of thinking about it. And now there's a, a much more readiness to pray. And it's not big, long-winded prayers, prayers, but it's just like, I'll pray. Pray, and then, and then I'm not having to muddle around in that you know, so it's causing a lack of the going to the judgment thing and the opinions thing and all this trying to sort it out. And it's just like, right. And the answers to the prayers are pretty exciting as well. Do you know what I mean? It's so cool. It's, you know, like discernment comes, pray, put it aside. And then, you know, and there's so much more room in there. <laughs> oh, yay. It's, yeah. It's really cool, very cool. So, so one of the things that this this outworked in was um, the thing <laughs> that um, Sam referred to again is the the big killings that happened in Christchurch, and it was really interesting because this was right um, in the middle of him speaking to me about hearing and leaning into his voice, and I'd I'd only I think I'd heard from. 
Um, my son rang up and said, is Uncle Paul all right, my brother? And I said, why? And he said, you know, tell me what was going on. So I flicked a text to <clears throat> my brother and, um, and I was teaching. And then when I finished, I went up and I flicked the TV on. I thought, I better f- see what's going on, you know. And I, I really was, I really, really needed to get some practice done, you know. And I was oh, looking at this. And first of all, I was completely and utterly horrified because the pictures I was seeing were of victims, you know, some with hardly any clothes on. And it was like, so I messaged my paramedic son and how can they do that? How can they be putting that on public? And he said, because it's in a public place, but it doesn't make it right, you know? And then there were various messages going forward in our family sort of communications. And um, one of my daughters-in-law said, oh, I've just seen this terrible video and the, he's got a GoPro on. And as, as soon as she said that, I said, don't watch it. You know, if he's got a GoPro on, that's the reason why he's doing it. Don't be a party to it. But it was like I was seeing these images and I thought, well, I need to do some practice. I'll get my music stand up in the, in the, in the um, lounge and turn the thing off on mute. But it was really hard to concentrate. And after a while, it was like the Lord said, whose voice are you listening to now? I was like, wow, okay, I can turn that thing off. And, and he said, do you trust me to tell you what you need to know? And what is it that's drawing you in? Because I was aware in that moment that things went right in here and that I was being barraged with voices, millions of voices, it seemed, you know, and they were not his voice. And, and it was like, what is making me feel I've got to know? You know, I've got to have that on. And it was this desire for information. And I thought, wow, which tree is that coming from? You know, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, isn't it? And it's like, okay, yes, you know, to, to understand and to know is important. But there was a pull you know, that was saying, and it became, and and so I turned it off, and I said, okay, so Lord, what are you saying? And, and then he started to show me what actually was happening. You know, I have prophesied this, and and the, the clarity with what was outplaying, he was telling me before it outplayed. And he said various things, and I'm not going to say them now, but but the things that are going to raise themselves up you know, and and so it was like this is an opportunity for my church to wake up and listen to me, not to listen to the many other voices because this, if you like, can be a test drive. Do you know what I mean? Be, because if, if we are thrown by this, let's, let's be, become aware that these sort of situations are only going to accelerate and we need to be able to hear his voice in any situation, whatever. And and that's who we are. And he is not he is not the one to um spring surprises on us. He actually declares everything before it is it actually comes about. So the church should be prepared and they should never be taken by surprise.
you know, that that's right through scripture. And it's like, wow, that's so cool. And it was such a, a very clear demonstration of what he had been talking to me about. So then, um, just to go on a little bit um, further, and I'll just touch on this, the the call came as as we were in discipleship group, and you see, we're feeding everywhere, everywhere we can, you know, um, in this discipleship um, particular um, evening, there was a question in it um, about why can't a person who is arrogant live as a bonds, bond servant of Christ? And it was like, all I heard was the word bond servant, bond servant, you know, so we talked about the question, but then I was asking questions, what is it about this bond servant? I knew there was something there that he wanted me to investigate, and I knew there was something about the ear. I knew there was something about hearing, but I didn't know what it was. And this was something that the Lord started to really um, show me and unfold to me, and I can't cover it. There's no way I can cover it tonight. But the 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 prime example is Christ. And he's described as a bondservant in um, Philippians 2. Let's go there quickly, shall we? So starting, say, in um, even verse 5 will do. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Not a thing to be grasped. Um, sometimes you could say utilized or asserted is the, the uh, little footnote there, but emptied himself or laid aside his privileges. Taking the form of a bond servant. And being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we are being transformed to be like Christ, right? So if Christ is being described as a bond servant, then there's something about this that we need to know. So it drew me into the 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 scriptures that are in um, Deuteronomy 15 and Exodus 21 about the bond servant, and I'll just read the Exodus one just f as far as, and you can have a go. Listen, look at this yourselves. Go dig, huh? So Exodus one, uh, 21 rather, verse one to six. Um, now, these are the audiences which you are to set before him, before them. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years, but on the seventh he shall go out as a free man without payment. So they've just been given all the commandments. They've just been brought out of slavery. And he's talking about there's no permanent slaves to ever happen. Okay. He shall go out as a free man on the seventh without payment. If he comes alone, he shall go out alone. If he 
is um, the, the husband of a wife, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons and daughters, the wife and her children shall belong to her master, but he shall go out alone. If the, and sorry, I actually want to go to the other one very quickly. There's something about this that is described in Deuteronomy 15.12 that I think is real key, key. So they're saying pretty much the same thing. But it says, when you set him free, you shall not send him away empty-handed. I've never seen this before. You shall furnish him liberally from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine vat. You shall give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you, and therefore I command you this day. So the situation is, we'll go back to that, but the situation is a Hebrew, okay, not a foreigner, but one of the brothers and sisters had come in and had um, been in servitude, possibly because they um, had no means of support, something had happened. And so they serve in this family. And then after the six years have come, come comes the seventh year, the what they call the year of Jubilee, I think, and they are released. So they're not just said, okay, off you can go, because they've got, they've not been earning wages while they've been there, right? So they've got no way to support themselves. But the master, in the generosity of their heart, as a response to the generosity that the the Lord himself himself has shown to the master, is liberally giving to this servant or this slave, whatever you want to call it, the the startings of a way to make a life. Okay, so from um, from their flock and from their um, threshing floor, so grain, I suppose, and from their wine vat. There, there was also um, an aspect in some of the writings that there was a monetary thing, and it wasn't ever to be less than 30 shekels of silver, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, so they're being set up to live their life. Have a listen to what happens here. It shall come about if he says to you, I will not go out from you because he loves you and your household since he fares well with you. Then you shall take an owl and pierce it through his ear into the door and he shall be your servant forever. So the servant isn't just being told, look, you can go. They're being given the means, they're being blessed and given gifts to make a life for themselves. And yet, because of love, because they have experienced something in this, in this family, in this household, with this master, that they know they can't get anywhere else. Remember I talked about life and life? We're talking about this. This is a a um, a physical representation of a spiritual reality. 
So because of love, because of love for the master and love for the master's household, they are going to commit themselves not for another six years, but for the rest of their lives. So they are going to say, you have given me everything that I could possibly need for life, to make my life, but instead of choosing that, I willingly and voluntarily give my entire life to you for the rest of my days. My life is given back to you. And the power in this is the very same power that has has become a living reality when I realized that every single one of us has been given a life. And the purpose of our life is only known when we give that back. We come into what we were created for, but he will never take it from us. He will give us everything that we need to make our own life, And he is looking for who loves him, isn't he? So are you talking about everybody is given a life? And, sorry? That's right, yep. Have a listen. (laughs) So the the power in this, this story is is paramount it really is and the the reality of life that god has for us the experience of that comes when we have surrendered everything it doesn't come when we've added god to our life so that he can bless you know how Greg has been talking a lot about incorporating Jesus. Well, that's when we are trying to have it both ways. We're trying to have our own life, but get God to bless our own life. And it, it, you're not going to get... It, he is happy. Like, he is loving us just the same. The, it's so clear. His love is not diminished for us. It can't be increased or diminished, ever by what we do or what we don't do. But the, the thing is that we won't get the fruit of the life that I described, the life that is in God himself, when we're trying to get our source from the, the temporal. And so this beautiful, beautiful opportunity to actually become part of his family and his household because of love And this is exactly the example that Jesus has taken and is for us. So being a bondservant is the example. It's not the exception. It's so easy to read the scriptures and say, well, maybe that's just the apostles. They were these kind of special people. But it's not. When you look at how many times the word bondservant or bondslave comes up, it's for the true worshippers. It's, it's right through. It's being used in so many, many, many instances. But primarily, it's Christ. So if it's Christ, it's us, yeah? And let's just quickly go into why it's the ear. 
because this this was the thing that drew me into this because he'd been talking to me about living by every word. And it was like there's something about the ear in this story. I know, I know. And and then you see that the ear is pierced and it seems to be this grotesque, horrible thing. But the thing is that it's it's pierced to the master's door. So not only is the ear towards the, the master, but Christ himself was pierced, wasn't he? And he was pierced onto a hunk of wood that has become the door. It has become the, the, the portal, if you like, the opportunity, the, the possibility of us walking from one realm into another realm. And so the, the power of this, this um, is, is also in all those scriptures that say, you know, deny yourself and take up your cross. Lose your life and you will gain it. You know, when we take up our cross and we deny ourselves, that's simply because we're living not in there because we've, we've given our life. It's no longer I that live. Literally, it's no longer I that live because my life is not my own now. I don't call the shots. I don't do what I want to do. I don't um, initiate anything. Jesus never initiated anything. He had his ear opened to the Father. And there's scriptures. Uh, I'm just going to th- throw them out there. You go look them up. I'm not going to even say them. Psalm 40 and verse 6 to 8 and Isaiah 50 to 55 to 6. I really want you to dig. Okay, that's Jesus, prophetic of Jesus having his ear opened and what it caused. So we've, we hear about nails driven through flesh, blood on door frames. All of this is, we're talking about the, the Passover, where there's so many things in here. The permanent piercing with holes and scars forever. Permanent marks. They're signs of ownership. If you go into some more study, which I'm not going to go into this now, we are free. We're completely free to choose. Completely free. But we're given the possibility of going to this door of decision and opportunity, which is Jesus. And we have this opportunity to, to bear those scars, that piercing, that ear opened so that we would live by his word and only his word. And we give up the right to call the shots. But do you know what? Who provides for everybody in that household? So, so much of our life is worrying about providing, making a living. What is that? Now, I'm not talking about doing crazy stuff and we don't need a job now, but do, do you know what I mean? We can be consumed by making a living, but we're not created to make a living. We are created to give our life to the one who makes it and has made it and come into living as his completely with our ear to him as his bond slave 
to serve him because of love, to serve his people because of love, to be provided for because we are in his household. So he provides everything that we need. We don't have to worry about what we will eat and drink and wear. Everything is provided by the Father, by the Master. So the, the power of what he has for us, this life, which is, it is of a totally different ilk. I wrote just a few little things. These were just to try and describe some of the things that I've I've feel that it, you know, some of them are different and some of them are just expanded on. I'm attached. I'm part of. I wake up aware of being a son. I know his immeasurable power is in me. There is a sense of no limit to my days. I'm no longer living from lack, but from his abundance. I'm not afraid of future tasks or activities happening because of Christ empowering me in each moment. I no longer live in fear of overcommitment. What is that? Because he leads and empowers. That's what it is when we're living in this. We're trying to balance everything. There's no such thing as overcommitment. But don't get me wrong. This Have another read of chapter 10 of the, the bird's eye view with surrender, commitment, you know, we can read this and say, oh, I've just got to be more committed. It's not it. It's actually not it. It's surrendering everything. And the commitment will come through. Schedules are now not the decider for obedience. The word has in it the power to complete without draining because it's a river, not a limited tank supply. At my core is who he is and therefore who I am because that's what he said. The Lord blows out so much stuff in my thinking. He defines life. He causes rest to come where there were anxious thoughts. There is peace and a simple confidence that he knows and is leading. So some things that occupied my mind so much are just not there anymore. And there's a clear openness within to hear and rejoice and follow. No more wavering and indecision, but a confidence in hearing, a trusting when I don't yet see, and a rejoicing as he brings sight. There's an awareness of the difference between a word that causes a knowing about and a word that has produced itself within me. That's clearly the work of the Holy Spirit. My choice is believing what he's spoken. It's life. It's this life, and it's so good. So I reckon he set us up for a win, whichever way we look at it. But we do need to say yes, and we do need to ask, and we do need to seek, and, and we do need to knock. And, and keep on looking, because it's there. It's absolutely there. Amen? Yeah. Enjoy the questions, guys. And, um, yeah, go and, go and read some of those things in your own time. Do a bit of digging yourself. See ya.